3: Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. at and
4: Welcome to Monster, DC Sniper, a production of iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the podcast author, or individuals participating in the podcast and do not represent those of iHeartMedia, Tenderfoot TV, or their employees. Listener discretion is advised. Monday, October 7th, 2002.
1: It's now day six of the sniper investigation. After two whole days with no shootings, the area seemed calm, but that feeling didn't last long.
5: It happened very early in the morning well before the buses or any classes began.
1: This is Karen Pumphrey, a former teacher at Tasker Middle School.
5: I was on a landing, and I heard someone kick the front door with such ferocity. I thought somebody was out there playing early, unsupervised, and I heard all this yelling. So I was not real happy about it, and I expected to see some kids out front. And I didn't. It was only one boy, Iron, and he was about 20 feet down near the drive. He was alone, nobody else. And he was yelling, and he was holding his stomach. So I walked over, and I asked him, what's the matter? And he said, I've been shot. I knew he was in pain, it was clear. But um, I really didn't think he was shot. So I was like, we're gonna get you some help. I went in, I said, Iron is hurt, he says he's been shot. So they called 911. Hello? Hello, this is Benjamin Haston Middle School. We have a child out front that says he's been shot. And the principal got up and when we came out, he wasn't out front anymore. Only his backpack was there. And this silver car was pulling away from the curb. We didn't know what was wrong with him and we didn't know who was in the car. So one of the counselors came running up, jumped in his car and followed.
6: There is a ruthless person on the loose
3: what unnerves this community the most is the randomness of the murders ordinary people doing ordinary things
1: they killed the five people in one day and
7: then went on the rampage for the next month it is quite a mystery the police say they have never had a crime quite like this be careful These guys are using weapons that are going to go right straight through our bulletproof vests. There's
8: a white van just went by with two guys in it.
1: From iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV, this is Monster, DC Sniper. 13-year-old Iron Brown arrived at Tasker Middle School at about 7.30 a.m. on October 7th. It seemed to be a completely normal Monday morning. Except, of course, A sniper was on the loose in the D.C. area. And on this morning, Iron Brown became the sniper's eighth victim. But before school officials could get help to him, Iron Brown disappeared. John Lloyd was the principal at Tasker Middle School. He explained what was happening to a 911 dispatcher.
8: Hi, how are you? Hi, sir. I'm the principal of the school. Did somebody just drive off with him? Yeah. Where? I don't know
5: where. I
9: have no
5: idea. It turns out, you know, his aunt had dropped him off and then went to pull away. It must have occurred immediately because she hadn't gotten out of the parking lot yet. And then it turns out she did hear the shot. So she came back. But we didn't know that. We didn't know who was taking him.
10: Prince Ferdas County Emergency Son. Can I help you? Oh, my God. I think I'm going to be able to drive my nephew to the hospital. What's the matter with him? He just got shot. Is he, oh is he conscious
1: he causes to die. Iron Brown's aunt, Tanya Brown, actually called 911 as she rushed him to the
10: hospital.
8: Help me! Are you OK, Iron?
1: Tanya was trapped in the morning rush hour traffic, and Iron was bleeding out in her car.
0: Please what? let me go. Let me go past! I got to go past! Let me go
10: past!
3: Miss Brown, please!
10: Miss Brown. I need your phone, uh, but I'm almost there. I'm getting ready to turn in right now. But he didn't see who shot him? He doesn't know. I didn't see anybody. And he didn't see anybody? No. Okay, go ahead and go in the ER. And we're going to send an officer out,
5: okay? Okay. All right. You know, we knew within 10 minutes, 15 minutes, that he was shot, that his injuries were extensive, and that he was going to be medevaced to Children's. And then at that point, you know, the buses were starting to show up. The onslaught of media and police presence was just crazy. There were helicopters in the air from every news agency. The FBI was on site. And then of course, immediately, like within minutes, parents start calling, I'm coming to get my kid. We had at the time, maybe um, 1,300 kids. And by the end of the day, we had 23 left.
3: I really understand that parents are concerned. But I think under the circumstances, the safest place for the children right now is inside of that building with adults. So we're not gonna dismiss school. We're gonna keep school in session and we are going to secure students within buildings.
11: I'm almost positive they said do not come to the school, but I did make it to the school so did hundreds of other parents. It's very difficult to tell a parent not to come to the school when your child could have been in danger. My name is Gerald Kaver. I live in Brandywine, Maryland. I woke up that morning. I spoke to my wife and my kids. And from my understanding, she was going to take him to school. My son was attending Tasca Middle School. Of course, you do you normal know, kiss goodbye, have a good day, behave. As I was leaving home, I saw a bunch of police cars and ambulance and fire trucks over by the school. And I thought about stopping over there, but then I said, now let me get out of here, it's too much traffic. So I get on Route 50 and I hear on the radio that breaking news, a boy had been shot at Benjamin Tasker Middle School. So from that point, I'm driving fast down Route 50 to the school and calling my wife to find out what's going on, did she take him to school, is he okay? she's not answering the phone. I went to the school. It was chaotic. There were children everywhere. There were parents everywhere. There were police, fire personnel, ambulance, EMTs. Unbelievable scene. And I'm walking through the parking lot. There was a lot of parents greeting their children in tears of joy that it wasn't their child that was shot. And I'm scanning and scanning. I finally located my son, who broke down in tears. And it was a big relief to know that he was OK. At the same time, it was sad. My son actually took a class or two with the young man who was shot. Very emotional day. I mean, just to know that my son could have been a target. It was a scary film. Imagine
1: learning that someone had been shot at your child's school. As a parent, there's no bigger fear than finding out it was your child who was injured. But while adults were coming to pick up their children, Iron Brown was rushed into surgery.
6: The youngster came into the hospital and he had already bled a significant amount, was already getting uh, transfusions, so he was not in good shape. My name is Martin Eichelberger. I am a, a pediatric surgeon at Children's National Medical Center. During the day, Early morning, I happened to be called by our communications center, said, look, you better look at the TV here because of the fact that there was some youngster that has just been shot. That was enough to know that we were gonna have to operate on this youngster. Within what's called the golden hour, your chances of survival from any kind of injury is much greater if you can get surgical care within the first hour. So we started to get our team ready. What we did learn was that he had been taken to one of the urgent care centers that was close to this middle school. They did a terrific job over there of resuscitating this youngster by making sure he had an IV. They put a tube in his chest because he had been shot in his uh, left chest. It took probably a half hour from the time he was shot to the time he got to us. During the operation, there are a lot of different steps that were involved. He had a gunshot wound just underneath his uh, xiphoid, and it went through the rib and ended up, if you can think of, a trajectory up towards his uh, scapula, the tip of his scapula, which is a little bit on the lower side. And he had an injury that basically hit several organs in the abdomen and also his uh, diaphragm and his lung. And it took a while to make sure that all of these organs were properly dealt with. As we were going along, and it was was an hour and a half, two hour operation, he got stabilized. He stopped bleeding. Uh, We were able to treat his lung without having to take any of the lung out. A couple of the other organs uh, similarly were, partially had to be removed, but in general, he tolerated it very, very well. He's lucky because the bullet, uh, you know, if the angle had been just a little bit more towards the middle, it would have hit his heart. You know, there's nothing really we probably would have been able to do. So, even though we have a great team, not all patients survive. And so, we were happy just to have him stable. And during that time, there was uh, an effort by the enforcement community to try to retrieve the bullet.
1: Dr. Eichelberger's colleague, Kurt Newman, was in charge of communicating with the police.
6: And so, Dr. Newman came to me and said, This is what they want to try to get the bullet, would it be easy to do? And I looked at the x-ray and put my finger down where I thought the bullet was, and yes, I could palpate it with my finger. I was able to pull out this bullet. I gave it specifically to Dr. Newman, who gave it to a specific person to make sure that that chain of evidence was kept intact. when
12: we were contacted about what had happened. And of course, we all sat in shock. We just couldn't believe, and we kept asking, are you sure, are you sure? My name is Dr. Wayne R. Curtis, cousin to um, the Brown family. We were obviously very scared and anxious about what was going to happen with him, having gotten shot like that at such a young age and that he would come out of it okay, but it's time told. He's doing okay, But at that time, we we were just all just concerned for his life. We went to the hospital with my sons to visit with him. At that point in time, there was a request
1: to meet with the press. National media wanted Iron Brown's parents to provide a statement. But Curtis says the parents were still processing their shock. So as we came out the back of the hospital to approach the press
12: corps, you can imagine if you're not confronted something like that before and you've got, I mean, God, it must have been 50 people with cameras and asking questions and it can be unnerving. As we were walking out the hallway, I don't think we got more than five steps onto the sidewalk after the building and just said, look, we can't do this. You should do this. And I said, "Okay, I'll do it. He continues to remain in critical but stable condition. He's a fighter. We remain optimistic. As our doctors have told us, this is a marathon, not a sprint. But we are confident that we will make it to the finish line. You think about the magnitude of a child. Any person getting shot, but, you know, when children get shot, it sort of magnifies it even more. We had psychological issues from from an occurrence. The uh, family, as much as possible, they try to normalize his life and their lives uh, of a very, very unfortunate tragedy.
1: Iron Brown was alive and safe. But back at Tasker Middle School, authorities were still trying to make sense of the attack. What kind of person would shoot a 13-year-old? Soon, police would get a major clue, a communication from the snipers.
3: Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. ATT.
7: We went from
6: normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance.
1: The shooting at Tasker Middle School sent the region into a frenzy. It was now clear that the sniper attacks were not over. And now the discussions about who was behind the attacks continued. Once again, the question came up, is this foreign terrorism? Many in the D.C. area certainly thought so. On the day Iron Brown was shot, WAMU's Kojo Namdi show fielded live calls about the shooting.
11: I'm concerned about my kids' safety because I think this shooter or shooters is trying to make a statement that I can shoot Americans anytime, place, anywhere I want to, and they're doing it around the nation's capital to make a statement.
8: I was calling in agreement with your past caller mentioning some ties between the shootings and terrorism, and I just see this as being completely related to the timing of what's going on today in our country.
1: And the media had helped fuel that fear. All over cable news, TV stations were speculating that this was, quite possibly, an act of terror.
0: He is orchestrating this whole event, really to spread fear, to spread terror, because he wants to be in charge. And he uh, is executing people just to show his power.
10: It became pretty clear to people that these random shootings across D.C. and around D.C. were linked. This is journalist
1: and historian Garrett Graff. He says it made sense that people thought foreign terrorists were responsible for the sniper attacks.
10: There was a very quick realization that this could be the next stage of a terror campaign. You had people begin to call in suspicious activity reports all over the city. This was in some ways maybe exactly the second wave that we had been led to fear was coming ever since the 9-11 attacks. In some ways, the idea that these sniper killings would be somehow linked to Al Qaeda seemed a very logical theory at the time. The idea that Here you had a terrorist really aiming to undermine Americans just going about their daily lives, you know, making it impossible to do the things that hundreds of millions of Americans literally had to do every day. Go buy groceries, fill up your car with gas, drive to work. The attacks on these commuters, these workers, these families around DC, in some ways, seemed a very logical next stage of Al-Qaeda targeting the homeland and really threatened to make ordinary daily life in America insecure.
1: While the country was debating who was behind these attacks, investigators were working to find the sniper. Following the shooting of Iron Brown, police shut down the area surrounding Tasker Middle School. They began searching looking for any clues. Benjamin Tasker Middle School, where Iron Brown was shot, is around 20 miles east of Washington, D.C. and about 75 miles northeast of where the last shooting occurred in Spotsylvania, Virginia. Was there something special about this school that drew the snipers this far out? I went to see for myself. And as we pulled up, I noticed the school was right next to a highway Route 50, and it was surrounded by thick, wooded areas. Maybe this was the ideal spot to hide with a quick getaway nearby. It was in these woods that authorities searched for evidence after the shooting. I asked one of the investigators to meet me here and walk me through what happened on the morning of October 7th.
10: My
13: name is Mike Paio with the United States Marshal Service. I oversee our canine operations program. And back in 2002, my partner was Explosive Detection Canine Beacon and he was trained for explosives and weapons detection.
1: I'm curious as to the jurisdictional lines here, right? A a number of agencies are here. Tell me why the U.S. Marshal Service is called in.
13: So it's about resources. We're not coming in here to obviously lead the investigation. This is PG County. So obviously, PG County Police Department, this is their scene. But there's not a lot of dogs back then that were trained specifically to find guns and shell casings. They had bomb dogs, but some of the bomb dogs are not trained to that level of evidence recovery. ATF trained dogs literally are sniffing explosives probably multiple times a day because we have to feed them.
1: To train dogs like Beacon and maintain their sensitivity to certain odors, the dogs are only fed when they detect the odors correctly.
13: It's classical conditioning. When the dogs come in odor, Beacon would start salivating because it's Pavlov's theory. You know, the bell rings. He anticipate getting the food coming in, so they automatically salivate. So those are the changes that we look for. So if the dog says, "Hey, I give you the indication," the the contract is you have to pay me. the The payment is the food. So, Michael, take me back to the day. How does that day start for you? On October seventh, two thousand two. Well, by the time I got here, it was a pretty chaotic scene. They had the streets blocked off, a lot of law enforcement, a lot of onlookers, a lot of media. The one thing that really struck to me was the, actually where we're standing right now was uh, Iron Brown's backpack. You could see definitely uh, see a little bit of pool of blood that was still left there. Someone said that they saw somebody or heard a gunshot on the front of the school up on that hill. So that would be across the street from the across school? Across the street. And of course, that white box truck. They said that they saw a white box truck. That up in the hill to here kind of didn't make sense to us. You would have to literally bend a bullet if that was how the shot was taking, Well, if you were to do the shooting, where would you put yourself? The obvious place was probably right in the woods. So from the front of the building, the right side, if you walk out of the school on the right side, there's a little bit of a wooded area and then it goes to a park. So I selected my search area and actually started to search. We started in searching. We get to about midway in, maybe seven to 10 feet out to the wood line and there was a tree and there was a huge branch that was falling down. He stopped and he searched the branch that was underground. And honestly, I actually wasn't paying attention to him at that point because I was actually watching my step. So I had turned my head to look at where I'm gonna put my foot next. I heard the PG County officer said, hey, look at your dog. So I turned around, he started to bracket Bracket meaning he's in order, but he wants to get to where the, the most of the order is coming from. Left to right, left to right, left to right, boom, he sniffs and he sits and a big drool comes out. So once that occurred, uh, we stopped. PG County officer, the PG County officer, the SWAT officer, one of the officers went out, got some of the evidence technicians to come in, and they all start to actually literally search the, this area, and then I was told that a shell casing was located. If you step back five, ten feet, unless you really look, you're not gonna see somebody hiding in there. So if you kind of actually look, it's a perfect line of sight. So I fully believe that he may have laid that rifle right on that piece of wood, took the shot, the shell casing comes out, and it's that area where they located the shell casing. And with that, they work their way backwards, and that's where they find the tarot card.
1: A tarot card. One from a special deck of cards that some say can predict the future. And the shooters didn't just leave any card. They left the death card. On it was a skeletal knight riding a white horse and holding a black flag. This image is said to show that no one escapes death, whether rich or poor, young or old. The card seemed to perfectly capture the sniper's M.O. No one is safe everyone is vulnerable. But the more disturbing aspect was what was written on the card. For you, Mr. Police, call me God. Do not release to the press.
7: Now they've got a God complex.
1: This is retired Maryland State Police Lieutenant David Reichenbach.
7: So at least we're starting to get a picture of what we're dealing with here. That card, at that time, I didn't even know about it, and I was the commander in charge of the criminal intelligence part of it. That was kept very, very close to the vest, and for good reason. We didn't want that to get out there. But unfortunately, it did. You know, the the following day, which was Tuesday, October 8th, WUSA Channel 9 breaks the story about the tarot card. And for us, that was a punch in the gut.
6: More about that calling card. It was left at the scene of the most recent shooting. That's the school in Prince George's County. It was a card from a fortune telling deck that's known as the death card with a note written on it. Dear policeman, I am God. It's the latest chilling development in this chilling case and massive investigation.
7: That wasn't supposed to be released. That didn't need to be released at that point. And there it is all over network news which meant we had an internal leak that actually plagued this investigation throughout the entire 23 days. Quite honestly, evidence was getting leaked that you want to hold close to the vest, and there's a couple of reasons behind that. You never release everything that you know about a homicide for the simple reason that whoever the bad guy is should be the only other person other than the police that really knows what happened.
1: By this point, police were receiving hundreds of calls every day on their tip line. Now that the tarot card information was public, the number of calls only increased. And at times, the phones were so busy that callers couldn't get through. It became too much for police to handle. And they had trouble figuring out which tips were good and which ones weren't.
7: With everything being put out there in the media, now we've got what I always called our confessors calling, confessing that they're the shooters
8: I'm the sniper.
11: Excuse me? <laughs> Hello? This is the sniper. I'm going to kill someone. I'm tired of this shit. I'm just going to turn myself
7: back. There's all sorts of psychological reasons why people do that. But it happens all the time. And the more media attention a case has, the more of these kind of folks that you have come out of the woodwork for whatever reason. And fortunately... Most of the time, you can quickly dispel them and eliminate them very quickly because they don't have enough information. They can't even describe the crime scene, so you know they didn't do it. However, with all the information being out there now the tarot card, these people are calling with enough information that you just can't ignore them. So now these folks had to go on the suspect list. So it was creating quite a few red herrings for us.
3: Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of smoking audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T.
6: We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via
0: ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.
1: Police weren't happy about the tarot card getting leaked to the public. But the media felt it was necessary to publish that information. Dave Statter was a reporter for Channel 9. His station broke the story about the tarot card.
9: The tarot card was first internally at our station reported by a reporter at Channel 9 named Stacy Cohan. She found out about this tarot card and this message from the apparent snipers to police, and it was soon confirmed by Mike Buchanan. He was one heck of a reporter, and if Mike and Stacy are telling me they have this information, I know it's true. And we didn't immediately go with the story. They worked with police, they let them know what we have and say, give us a good reason why we shouldn't go with this because reporters don't want to screw up an investigation. We want to get our information out there, but we don't want to make it harder to catch people who are involved in crimes. Our news director at the time was involved in it and they all dealt with police and not one person in Prince George's County Police or in Montgomery County Police said, please don't air this information. And I believe they aired it a short time later. When it aired, and the Washington Post also did the same story, this set off the chief of police in Montgomery County, Charles Moose, who pretty much attacked both news organizations for reporting that story.
6: I have not received any message that the citizens of Montgomery County won't Channel 9 or the Washington Post or any other media outlet to solve this case. If they do, then let me know. We will go and do other police work, and we will turn this case over to the media. But to date, the people in my community have asked the police department to work the case. So I beg of the media, let us do our job, because I am convinced that we're broaching interference. If my team feels it's important to put things out there, that's sad, and if the media feels that it is their job to put things out there so that they can be promoted, then that is also sad.
1: Chief Moose had singled out Channel Nine and the Washington Post, the two media outlets who first broke the tarot card story. Washington Post reporter Josh White took issue with Chief Moose's comments.
14: That tarot card was a really important piece of both the investigation and the public's understanding of what was happening. While certainly there are always going to be things that law enforcement doesn't want out, and there are gonna be things that they wanna keep from the public in order to help them solve crimes, Frankly, our job is to find out what those things are and responsibly report what we believe will help further the public's understanding of the situation. In the grand scheme of things, there are plenty of things in every investigation that I'm sure the police wish weren't out there. But by the same token, for us to report it, we have to know about it. And for us to know about it, that means someone deeply involved in the investigation feels that it's information that should be out there or we wouldn't know about it. There were aspects throughout the investigation that, you know, someone said this is going to cause harm. That's something we take seriously and certainly weigh as we make decisions. In that particular case with the tarot card, trying to understand at all what this was about was of the most important aspect of what we could do as, as journalists. It's
1: a tricky situation. For police, it's imperative to maintain control over sensitive information. As a journalist, You have to inform the public about what's going on. But you also don't want to report anything that might interfere with the investigation. So reporters have to make a tough decision. At the end of the day, the media and law enforcement simply might not agree on what should be published. But in this case, White thinks it was important to release the tarot card info for another reason. To him, it indicated that the attack was not the work of foreign terrorists. And that was something the public needed to understand.
14: It immediately changed how people looked at this. It was no longer maybe Al-Qaeda or ISIS. It was certainly a version of terrorism. People were terrified. But it changed the nature of, I think, how everybody looked at it.
1: What about law enforcement? Did they still see this as possibly connected to foreign terrorism?
8: Well, I think everyone had to consider that potential. I think you had to say, is this the next shoe to drop? Because now we've closed off the airlines, we've hardened the doors between the passengers and the pilot and co-pilot. Are they going to come at us in a different way now? My name is Clint Van Sant. I'm a former FBI agent, criminal profiler, and hostage negotiator. I mean, This was terror. I don't think there's any doubt that these shooters were waging terror on the American public. The question is, what was the reason for that terror? You couldn't say, no, this is not some organized event. But I saw and heard of no evidence of any type of international connection. The terror card, The call me God, I am God. I couldn't see a radical Islamic fundamentalist who might be doing this for his own religious purposes, calling himself God. I mean, that that didn't make any sense. I mean, you would have said, I am acting on God's part. I am the hand of God. I am the fist of God, perhaps, but I am God? No, no, that just did not ring true. The verbiage that was used in there was nothing that would lend itself to international terrorism or nothing that would lend itself to someone trying to disguise themselves as a domestic terrorist when they were, in fact, international. Internationals normally would take credit. They want to take credit. They want to stand up and beat their chest and say, look what we can do. That wasn't taking place. So in the absence of that, I think in my particular case, it seemed like more a domestic situation for a defined purpose.
1: There were a few other possibilities. When investigators met to discuss the tarot card, someone mentioned the death cards left by soldiers in the movie Apocalypse Now.
9: Three of spades, four of diamonds. What's that? Death cards! Damn. Let's Charlie know who
8: did this!
1: Someone else remembered that God was the nickname of the Chief Sniper in the 1990 movie Navy SEALs.
0: God? God? God here. God, we got a single shooter, Southeast Tower? Yeah, I see him.
1: Was the Sniper a military man? Or at least a fan of military movies? Others thought the tarot card indicated the work of a serial killer with an interest in the occult. Whether these were terrorists, serial killers, or something else, it made no difference. Paranoia was at an all-time high. Children were being shot in broad daylight, and the airtime devoted to the case was nonstop on nearly every major TV network. The entire country was watching.
14: The fact that a child was shot was a pivotal moment. It showed a willingness on the part of the attackers to go after anybody.
1: This is Washington Post reporter Josh White.
14: And it was at that moment that people really changed their minds about how scared to be, about how cautious to be. The schools really started responding. Any adult who lived in this region had to wonder, how do I keep my kids safe, even at school? And it was knowledge that they were willing to invade even our, what are considered to be some of our safest spaces.
1: Even President George W. Bush weighed in about the shooting of Ivan Brown a few days later.
13: The president, number one, is wanted to make certain that all the resources of the federal government have been made available through the ATF, through the FBI, and through other agencies of the federal government as well to help the local law enforcement community, and that's been done. The president urges people to take all reasonable and prudent cautions that the law enforcement community in the case that should be taken.
6: First of all, I'm just sick to my stomach to think that there is a... Cold blooded killer at home, taking innocent life. I weep for those who've lost their loved ones. The idea of moms taking their kids to school and sheltering them from a potential sniper attack is, is not the American I know. Yeah, the sniper attacks, well, it is a form of terrorism, but in terms of the terrorism that we think of, we have no evidence one way or the other, obviously. But anytime anybody is randomly shooting, randomly killing, randomly taking life, it's a cold blooded murder. It, you know, it's a sick mind.
1: For investigators, the manhunt was about to get personal. A tragic turn of events would flip the investigation on its head and the sniper's scope was an FBI agent. Next time on Monster, DC Sniper.
8: I was absolutely sure
9: that we were gonna get a shooting.
14: I got a call from a source saying you need to get out to Manassas. There's been another one.
9: And the next thing I see are police officers running with their guns drawn to an apartment complex across the street where there's a white vehicle that looks sort of like a box truck.
4: People process a lot less information than we think. They get this sense that they're seeing everything when in fact they're
8: seeing very little.
0: So we had a pretty good game plan, but the problem was we weren't being provided good intelligence and suspect information from Lookout. That hurt us.
9: So now the real focus is, what do I do when I'm pumping gas? I have to get gasoline from my car. There are gas stations that are starting to put up barricades or tarps to block you. It showed that if
14: somebody wants to go after someone who they have no connection to randomly in a metropolitan area that has millions of people, what's stopping them?
4: Monster, DC Sniper is a 15-episode podcast hosted by Tony Harris and produced by iHeartRadio and Tenderfoot TV. Matt Frederick and Alex Williams are executive producers on behalf of iHeartRadio, alongside producers Trevor Young, Ben Kebrick, and Josh Thane. Payne Lindsay and Donald Albright are executive producers on behalf of Tenderfoot TV, alongside producers Meredith Stedman and Christina Dana. Original music is by Makeup and Vanity Set. Special thanks to WAMU, American University Radio, for usage of clips originally broadcast on October 7th, 2002, on The Kojo Namdi Show. If you haven't already, be sure to check out the first two seasons, Atlanta Monster and Monster the Zodiac Killer. If you have questions or comments, email us at monster at iheartmedia.com or you can call us at one 285 6667
0: listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare
6: we went from normal life healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or b cell all the saint jude team came up
0: to get cj via ambulance shortly after that i noticed a rainbow it meant that there was hope we were driving into hope To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.
3: Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. work.